Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for joining us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Tucker Milling. So, everybody, how are you liking these high feed prices. If you missed our show a couple of weeks ago with poultry nutritionist Dr. Curran Gehring, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode in its entirety. We talked about possible food alternatives to paying these uh, prices for our commercial feed bags that we get at the feed stores, uh, whether it be a mom and pop or uh, kind of a chain store. We've all seen the prices go up over the last two years. Really, uh, they haven't come down since pre-pandemic a couple of years ago, and they're just going up and up and up. I stopped at the feed store this morning uh, on the way back from taking my daughter to her horseback riding a lesson. She a, a, does hunter, jumper, uh, let's see, what do you call it? She jumps and she does the, uh, oh, what do you call it, um, dressage. But um stopped back by and uh, was talking to the uh, feed dealer owners and told them what I needed. I need some hog feed, some chicken feed, some goat feed. Uh, I think I was good on everything else. And uh, my hog feed stayed the same from my last purchase, but um, it has gone up since since pandemic, but not as much as other. The goat feed went up probably another dollar fifty a bag. And then the chicken feed, the 16% layer pellets, I think it went up another almost $2 a bag. So a little bit of sticker shock there. I know all of you guys are experiencing, but as they bring out the forklift with that pallet of feed, and I see all the Tucker milling label on that feed, 
I know for a fact that my livestock here, multi-species, are getting great nutrition, and I also look at the price tag of all the other feeds they carry. <laughs> it actually puts a grin on my face um, because I know I'm not paying $10 more per bag for my chicken feed like a lot of you guys are for uh, because you like some little symbol on your feed bag. Um, so it's uh, it, it's interesting. So, you know, you, it's first you have sticker shock. Then you see that Tucker milling goodness coming out on the forklift, and you know what you paid versus what you could have paid uh, for a for a silly symbol on your bag, and uh, you just kind of grin and say, "Yeah, I made the right choice." But man, we're all feeling the heat. Uh, not well, literally, <laughs> it's hot around the country. Let me tell you. Um, so a lot of you are experiencing less egg production because of the heat. But um, uh, and also uh, that reminds me, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Petesky when he when he comes on here in just a second. We, we always hear, and back when I was really involved in these outbreaks with CDC and USDA uh, over the years, uh, we've heard that normally in the hot summer months, it kind of goes away. But there's been a couple of new outbreaks of the high path avian influenza. I think it was last week. And when I saw that, when it came across the wire with USDA in an email, um, I was like, no, wait a minute. We were all kind of told and taught that when it gets really hot, that kind of goes away. And, yes, it's not as bad as it was in the spring. They're kind of, I think, preparing for it to rear its ugly head again quite a bit this fall. Uh, but we'll see what happens there as, as the migration starts back, the flyways, and all these birds start uh, migrating south for the winter, coming down the flyways across the United States. They think it will rear its ugly head again. Uh, but I just thought it was unique that and it may be an anomaly that we're having an outbreak here in the hottest part of the, the year when it's supposed to kind of taper off. So I'm going to ask Dr. Potesky about that here in just a second. But, man, feed prices are going higher and higher and higher, the inflation. Oh, and also I got in the big F-350 today one ton, and uh, I looked down and it says <laughs> little gas tanks on, gas lights on. So I'm like, well, isn't that just a swift kick in the rear? I got a 35-gallon tank that I got to go fill up, and uh, <laughs> so we're all feeling the heat, right? Uh, I posted a meme on my personal Facebook page, not on my Chicken Whisper page, that said, "I walked into the bank today with some concerns, and my banker assured me that my account was insured up to $250,000 through the FDIC. I had nothing to worry about." And so I had posted, I said, hey, that makes me feel really good. My $26.56 I've got in my account is protected by the FDIC. <laughs> it's protected up to 250000 but rest assured, I walked out of the bank confident that my $26.56 was safe there in the bank. So uh, it's getting tough, guys, right? Man, the inflation. But uh, regarding to livestock and what this show is all about, um, I know your feed bill is getting higher and higher, and we saw a lot of people talking about, hey, can I just let them free range? Will they be okay? Uh, can I just give them leftovers from our family meal? Will they be okay? Can I just go and buy all these cheap grains, mix them up myself, and then and then put it in their feeder and because I can save five bucks a bag? Uh, will everything be okay? Can I um, feed them every other day? You know, have feed on Monday but not Tuesday or Wednesday. Would that be okay? Can I feed the – you know, well, hey, I'm paying $26 a bag, but this other store has really the cheapest feed I've ever seen at, you know, $10, $12 less per bag. Can I feed that? Would that be better? Because it's designed for poultry. It's a chicken feed. It just happens to be 
Um, can I feed that instead? Is that better than nothing? Is that better than doing every other day? Is that better than just feeding food scraps? Is that cheap feed better than just doing free range? But that was a great episode. I encourage you to go back a couple of weeks and listen to that. Um, and uh, if, if you're interested, because I know a lot of people I saw as the food prices went up, creative. And um, uh, not to – no spoiler alert here. I guess it is. But you, those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time probably know the outcome uh, of that show. Uh, but So maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert. But um, you have to ask yourself, do you want to pay now or pay later? And by the way, I say, well, what do you mean pay later? Well, you'll pay later for less eggs because uh, their nutritional uh, – their daily nutritional value just drops because you're starting to mess around with that or be creative. Um, so now you've got to buy eggs because they're laying less because you have less nutritionally dense feed for them. Or maybe you start having a helping problem. Maybe they're, you know, oh, you know what, I mix all these grains and I give it to them, but guess what? You didn't put any calcium in there, and so now they're pulling all the calcium out of their bones. Now you, your birds have osteoporosis because they're trying to pull – all that calcium out of their bones to lay these eggs that you want, even though you're probably getting less now because of the heat and let uh, poor nutrition because you're trying to save a buck or two on the feed. So, I mean, do you want to pay now uh, a little bit more for a good quality feed or do you want to pay later for sick birds, ill birds, birds that aren't laying as much, uh, different things like that? Um, and uh, that's, that's your call based on your wallet uh, come payday Friday. So, but go listen to the show. There's some there's some neat ideas, good ideas, and some things that I just didn't do. Spoiler alert here on everything, but go check that out. I think you'll enjoy that, especially if you're um, trying to, you know, okay, what can I do to save a little bit of money uh, for feeding my livestock? So, I've seen a lot more posts too. Some people wanting to unload their livestock. You know, I've got free this, free that, or I'll make you a deal on this or that. Um, especially larger livestock, uh, horses and hogs. And other th- goats and other things. I think alfalfa pellets. We feed our goats twenty-five dollars a bag, something like that. Twenty? No, it's twenty-six now. Twenty-four. I don't remember. It went up a couple bucks. And um, so a lot of people are trying to unload that livestock so they don't have to uh, feed it. I know I made an appointment, or I called to make an appointment for. I think we have four hogs left. Two of the four hogs uh, to be processed, and uh, they were on vacation. Our processor. They said, "Hey, reach back on the 18th. I'll be able to look at my schedule and get you in." So I'll be two less hog mouths I'll have to feed. Um, they'll start feeding us, um, and I, if I could get four in the trailer at one time, I'd process all four and then and then uh, sell. I've got plenty of customers that would be be wanting that, and that's four hog mouths I don't have to feed. So however many bags I buy of that, uh, about every other week uh, when I go uh, to the feed store. But, uh, yeah, send me an email on, on any creative ways that you try to feed your flock. Go listen to that previous podcast or um, tell me what kind of prices you're dealing with. CW at chickenwhisperer.com. CW at chickenwhisperer.com. We'd like to hear kind of maybe what you're paying pre-pandemic, what you're paying now, um, and have you made any changes. Uh, also, I've got a great show coming up as well, probably in another month. So we'll maybe looking at doing this show in August, probably. Uh, and that's how is this economy affecting? Uh, like, for instance, I've, I've contacted my sponsors um, and in the poultry industry, not necessarily the commercial poultry industry, but kind of our backyard, how it affects you, uh, uh, John Q. Public Backyard Chicken Keeper Soccer Mom with your 12 hens, um, supply chain issues and, 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 and price increases. Like I talked with Pascal at Brincy. 
and uh, she sent me back a full email paragraph full of answering all my questions that I asked her about, hey, how, how are your parts coming in? Are you having like these – you always hear the auto part industry. Oh, my gosh, it's six months before they get this part for my car. And so I'm riding around with no air conditioner because they, they can't get the part in or, you know, the um, – Prices have gone sky high, so we wanted to have that affected. So we've got a show coming up in August, whether it be you're buying 25 chicks from Ideal Poultry or you're buying a brooder uh, from Stromberg's or you know maybe you're buying um, a new incubator that you've always wanted and it's creeped up in price a little bit. Are they selling more of the entry model incubators? Does the price the price point at say you know $150 versus $550? Uh, if uh, if they have part if they have units to come in for repair, is there a delay because they can't get the parts in? How about feed? With all of us experiencing this heavy feed bill, are baby chicks now when you used to could get them for dollar twenty seven, probably pre pandemic, and now they're like you know oh because the breeder stock you're having to feed them. Um, parts, uh, how much of this stuff is coming from China? Waterers, feeders, different things like that. Uh, believe it or not, regardless of Pretty much any company feed you buy for commercial feed, some of those uh, Vitapack, some of the vitamins and minerals in that are coming from China. So are they delayed? Are they have they gone up in price? So I'm really looking forward to that show coming up uh, next month about how uh, this entire inflation and economy and issues we're dealing with, uh, supply delays, um, how it's affecting us in uh, us, uh, small farms small livestock keepers, uh, backyard chicken keepers, and things like that. So that'll be a show coming up in August. I just got to compile all this information from the folks I've contacted and uh, about why we're paying more and how it's affected them as a business. Though, Brincy did say the last two years have been crazy as far as business. They've had an increase. I mean, it's been fantastic for them, whether it be, hey, I want to provide, you know, and it happened back, happened back in 2008. We saw this, you know, how uh, uh, things are starting to look grim. I need to provide food for my family. I need to buy an incubator. I need to, you know, so there's there's that uh, scare that's, that's increasing profit. Oh, I need to buy chickens to provide for my family. Uh, in case the eggs run out, I think most people know now still there's a lot of newbies that don't, but most people know now who keep chickens realize that uh, you're going to – granted, they're better, and I, I, I use that with a question mark, better eggs from my backyard um, than buying at the store, but cheaper. Yeah, send me those emails too about how much that first egg cost you with your $3,000 coop, your $25 a bag feed. Your waterers, your feeders, your run, your uh, hardware cloth versus the chicken wire, your two by fours, your metal roof for your fancy coop. You know, get back to me on how much that first egg cost you and how many dozens you could have bought at the Wally World. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that so business has been pretty good at least the last couple of years for for Brincy, even though we've we've had these issues. Uh, so that's a great show. Uh, it'll encompass a lot of things. Uh, and that should probably take place in August. You're tuning in today because you want to hear about common diseases and injuries from our good friend, um, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski. And so uh, I don't even have a list, and I'm sure he's got his whole outline he wants to cover based on as a poultry veterinarian what he sees most commonly in diseases and injuries. So I'm going to go right to the phone lines, and we'll bring him on, and I'm just going to let him roll with it. And probably in about 20 minutes, we'll go to a uh, – maybe 25 minutes, we'll go to commercial break. And like I've been trying to do, I'll just run through them all, 
So we only take one break during this uh, hour, hour plus uh, podcast, um, and I'll just run through them all, and then we won't have to take two breaks. That'll be about 25 minutes. I'll go to a commercial break and give you all a restroom break and whatnot. So uh, welcome, Doc. Thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be here. Absolutely, and um, common diseases and injuries. Let's let's get right to it. And I'm sure you've got that list. I'm anxious to hear, as from a poultry veterinarian perspective, what kind of what you see most. One thing I didn't add, which I think you had touched on in your initial topic, was maybe some home remedies, and that kind of surprised me um, a little bit. You wanted to go down that that rabbit hole, but I, I, that's great because you, sometimes you'll take that phone call, and there may be home remedies that you're feel comfortable sharing even as a poultry veterinarian uh that they may that may help the situation um without them maybe taking them to the vet so i didn't add that in the specific uh um uh, official topic just common diseases and injuries that'll draw them in and then any any a lot of folks that listen regularly will well hey wow there's a home remedy that that uh uh, Maurice talked about, and that, that's cool instead of just uh, for this, and which some things just you're going to have to do that to get proper care. But I didn't add that in the in the list. People will be pleasantly surprised if they hear some of that when uh, when they tune in. But I'm just going to let you uh, run with it in your list of what you've compiled with common diseases and injuries, and we won't go down any long in depth because we, we we dissect this as our listeners know you'll have one entire show on coccidiosis so that may be one of your say common diseases or whatever that or, or you have but we won't like focus on that too much you'll just you know do what you want to do for the show and uh let's talk about this a little bit yeah so um to your point you know common injuries um um, I am going to go there as far as some home remedies, and, and you kind of set it up perfectly. You know, people are obviously feeling a little pinched right now in the pocket, so uh, if you can avoid a, uh, a visit to the vet, why why not? Um, so um, so there are some things you can do at home. We all have common sense, hopefully. So as long as you have some common sense and you can kind of differentiate at what point you need to have a vet involved, and, and you know, you can kind of draw that line in the sand and um, if you can do that, then absolutely. I, I believe there are some things you can do um, at home that will probably be in the best interest of everyone, uh, the vet, um, you, your pocketbook, and, and the animal, um, of course, also. Um, before we get there, though, I just wanted to point out a couple things. You did mention avian influenza. So, um, yep, uh, we, we do have some avian influenza still floating around. Uh, and that's unique because normally in the summertime, um, just like all respiratory viruses, for the most part, we, we usually get a, a little, uh, a much bigger boost in, in the fall and winter, especially, and all kinds of ideas on why that's so. But with respect to avian influenza, the, the main reservoir are waterfowl, and uh, waterfowl are um, in um, much higher abundance during the fall and winter. So. That being said, we're kind of in a unique situation in, in Europe and probably in North America too, unfortunately, where uh, the type of high path that we're dealing with might be uh, more endemic and might be present not just in waterfowl, but also in um, non-waterfowl, non-shorebird, uh, songbirds. Um, and the last year has been, or last six months has been remarkable in the variety of species that we've seen, not just avian uh, mm -hmm. animals in general, that we're seeing this high path strain in. 
So, uh, you know, one thing I think everyone always knows when we talk about biosecurity, um, you know, over and over and over again, but there is no treatment for avian influenza. Um, we don't have an effective vaccine at this point. Even if we did, it's not legal to use in, um, in North America for various reasons mm-hmm. that we've talked about a little in the past. Um, but I think it's really, really important for people to be aware that um, there's a lot of folks that are predicting um, based upon disease modeling, um, based upon empirical evidence, basically what are we seeing right now as far as testing the virus in different um, wild bird populations. There's a lot of data that's suggesting that the fall we're going to get hit again and, and mm-hmm. maybe even um, more broadly than we, are, than we were hit in this last outbreak where, I mean, we had over, you know, 30, I think 35 states or so that were affected. So I'm in California. We, we were largely unscathed in the Pacific Flyway um, from mm-hmm. the uh, last outbreak that really affected uh, folks in the Atlantic and the Pacific mm-hmm. and the Central Flyway. Um, but, but we're uh, predicting based on some disease modeling that, that we're going to get hit also. And, and that's in part because it's kind of interesting just to go on one little tangent here before we get back to the topic at hand, because sure. I think it's a really relevant topic, is that, you know, you have these flyways, which are almost like lanes on a, on a freeway, and the Pacific mm-hmm. Flyway is one lane, and the Central Flyway is an, another lane, and so on and so forth. But um, there, there are obviously just like, you know, people on the highway, people change lanes and um, the Pacific Flyway, it's interesting, the waterfowl from the Pacific Flyway for about the last decade or so based on telemetry data, basically little cell phones that we can place on waterfowl and follow their movements. Um, but based on those, on those telemetry data, it, it seems to show that the, the Pacific Flyway is kind of merging a little um, with the, the Central Flyway. And then as they all move north into that Arctic area, that's where you really run the risk of all kinds of uh, disease transmission between um, waterfowl in uh, North America and also waterfowl in um, Asia and waterfowl in, um, in Europe and some of those flyways. So um, we just need to be really vigilant. It, it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a saying in epidemiology that I'm, I'm sure people know because epidemiology has been a little more front and center over the last few years for COVID-based <laughs> reasons, but there's a saying in epidemiology, all models are wrong. Some are just less wrong than others. And, you know, obviously we all know that predicting the future is a fool's errand, um, but we still try and, and the disease models are getting more and more sophisticated. And uh, it is certainly plausible. It would not surprise, I think, most folks if we did get hit. And that's different than the last outbreak. In 2014, 2015, um, we had a similar um, outbreak with respect to mortality and geography, um, but the next fall it, it just disappeared the high path. So hopefully I'm wrong like I, I normally am, um, and it, it doesn't come back. The, the only thing I like to be right about is you know picking who's going to win the World Series. This, this is the kind of stuff I don't want to be right about. Um, but but hopefully I'm wrong and, and we can uh, you know you guys can get a good laugh and 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 point at me and say oh that you know scientist was wrong again. <laughs> so, um, but we just need to, we just need to kind of hunker down and be aware that, that it could be coming and, um, it, it could cause, you know, the United States is a, is a huge and Canada also are huge poultry producers, you know, significant, uh, egg producers, um, all kinds of foods are, would be affected if we had another outbreak. Um, if we had another outbreak that, that would, mm. as we talked about last time, would probably 
I think, change the logic for vaccination in, in favor of vaccination, which would change some world um, trade kind of policies likely, um, mm-hmm. would likely trade, would change those. So it's just something we just need to be very um, aware of and, and prepared for. And, you know, the, the best thing we can all do is, is practice good biosecurity. I, I know it's easier said than done. I know it's not exciting. I know we all want to kind of do all kinds of other things in preparation uh, for that kind of, you know, semi-apocalyptic kind of event that I just mm-hmm. described. But the best thing we can do is protect our birds. And, and if they do get sick, that's where we need to step up. And, you know, virus doesn't replicate in dead animals. So we need to kind of understand how we can humanely euthanize birds if necessary, um, double bag them. Um, to make sure that no virus is transmitted to other animals and, and clean and disinfect everything so we're, we're reducing the potential impact. So anyway, you know, it's, I guess a, it's interesting to, to talk about. Yeah, and, and um, I knew something was up when uh, I just got this email out of the blue because I worked with him very closely for years and was there at least twice a year down at CT, CDC headquarters in Atlanta doing biosecurity global webinars and things like that. Hadn't heard from him too much in the last well, probably two years. And then all of a sudden, bing, I got an email from him, I don't know, maybe a month ago. And it said, hey, we'd really like your help in educating the public like you always have about, you know, this you know, high path haven. And so just out of the blue. And then I think I, you had mentioned it the last show you were on as well. And then I was kind of just putting two and two together. And, and I think I've shared on the show that I think the poultry experts out there around the country are, like you said, they're kind of models, whoever they're they're anticipating. Uh, another outbreak, maybe worse than the spring this this fall, and you kind of explained it to a T. So I don't have to put two and two together here, thinking, oh, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. This, I guess they're really expecting this. So that that was interesting. Thanks for clearing that up. And two, um, that it's not just what. So you know, we're always so focused on, oh, it's ducks and geese and waterfowl. And stay away from ponds. Don't let my chickens go drink out of the pond or the creek and things. But uh, this is the first I'd heard about really it being. You know, not just waterfowl. You said songbirds and just other things, migratory birds that we don't wouldn't classify as. In our mind, every time this happens, as you know, ducks and geese and you know, basically waterfowl. So, well, I don't have any ponds on my property, so I'm okay. Or you know, so that the folks that normally say that, well, waterfowl, I don't have a pond in my area, then then that may be the case that they can they're going to fall into this category of well. Not so fast. You, you also need to probably have some good biosecurity on hand, too, because we're now seeing it across the board. Uh, and then also, what was the other thing? I had three things on my on the tip of my tongue I was going to share about that, <laughs> the, the avian influenza. Oh, I know. Um, uh, the Oh, the vaccine stuff. So do you think that – I mean, I mean, the last time this happened, was, was it 2015, 16? Was that the, 14, the, the last 14, 15? Okay. Um, and then here's this year. So we're looking at seven years ago. We had that, that great big one. And then this is actually as far as, as cold birds, this one's about the same at this point. It may, we may have surpassed that because you and I were talking about that last show too, the, the serious, this one versus that one. Um, in that, uh, the, in the vaccine program, our 
even though it was seven years ago, which seems like, well, it just happened seven years ago. So it happened this year. Okay, we can deal with it. And But I guess there's some people at that point are using that justification. Oh, it happened seven years ago. We can deal with this every seven years. We don't need to start a vaccination program. I guess there's some that are that are having the, starting to have the attitude, well, it's here. It's always going to be here. You know, it's it's not going anywhere. Kind of like the the Newcastle, maybe if you will. And then, so they're like, maybe we do need to start vaccinating for it and and go down that road and and deal with these things that we need to change and the imports, exports, things like that, um, because it's 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 here. It's not going anywhere. Whether it be next year it comes back or another six years it comes back, this they're they're seeing that it's pretty much here to stay. Um, is that still the, the the one side of the football field versus the other is that you have that oh, every seven years, we don't need to do this. And then the other people have the attitude of, no, it's, it's pretty here to say, we see it here, there. Is that kind of what's seen right now? You've got those two sides of the field arguing with each other kind of, or their, their theory. Yeah. I mean, I think until 2014, 2015, you, you would look at all these global maps of where avian influenza is and, and you just wouldn't see it in North America. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the, the dogma at the time, interestingly enough, was that um, we were, our biosecurity was better than everyone else's. Right. So we just right. assumed our barns were, were a little better. And, you know, obviously we learned that surprise, surprise, we're, we're just about, you know, equal to everyone else when it comes to these things. We have some good farms and some bad farms. It's like every, every country in the world for the most part. And, and Latin America is kind of an example of right now where not as many migratory birds move into Latin America, but there are some, and as it becomes more prevalent, I'm, I'm really curious, and, and I know other people have speculated about this too, to say, mm-hmm. well, is it, is it going to move in, into those parts of the world? You know, if, if the question you know you're asking is like okay even if we get it just just every seven years right. or every five years every ten years we're, we're dealing you know with hundreds of millions of dollars of damage mm-hmm. um, so you, you have to do a you know a cost benefit analysis just like any mm-hmm. kind of food animal company and, and they have to kind of say well here's how much the vaccine costs um, and here's how much you know the the potential you know risk of of an outbreak would would cost us, and and then you mm-hmm. have to kind of you know arbitrage out what what your what level of risk you're you're ultimately willing to um, to accept. I think where it gets really complicated is is in trade. Um, mm-hmm. So right now, you know, it would cause just because of, of various reasons that we talked a little about last week, but. For various reasons, we, we, we can't vaccinate, um, mm-hmm. and some of them are fixable. Some of them are, are not fixable, um, but, but regardless, it, it'll take, you know, a, a bunch of different countries and trade representatives to kind of turn the key, if you will, on actually deciding to, to vaccinate or not. I think, you know, the turkey industry in 2014, 2015, they got hammered really, really hard. So they were really um, pushing for the, con- you know, for vaccination and, and, and considering vaccination. And uh, ultimately that, that decision wasn't made at that point, but it, it is, it is no longer, you know, um, I think kind of settled science that, that we shouldn't be kind of pushing vaccination from an animal welfare perspective. Uh, if, if every X amount of years we have to depopulate 40 million birds, that's, that's going to be a problem. Uh, from an economic perspective, from a food security perspective. So if this keeps coming back, then then the vaccination, which is not perfect and has scalability issues, efficacy issues, 
trade issues, um, then those issues maybe become a little less significant and, and vaccination becomes a little more attractive to, to regulators, there, farmers, are, et cetera. There, there, are there other countries? I was going to say there are, uh, but are there other countries that vaccinate for high path avian influenza? And, and if um, so, and I put you on the spot, but um, my question is if, if we went down this road, and we started vaccinating that there'll probably be a little whatever you want to call it a little shake up or a little mm, push back or, or whatever in the trade industry but you know it's probably you know, it's probably like everything else it'll just become expected and say okay and then and then just settle back down and it'll be all status quo after however long that that would actually take and like you're saying, you would just factor in how much would that really end up costing the poultry industry versus, you know, having this happen ever so often. Um, I would equate something like that happening if we just did it to like, I don't know, the, the, the short attention span of Americans these days. Oh, there's a there's a salmonella outbreak in peanut butter. And then, you know, two weeks later, whatever else the media dangles in front of our nose, that takes precedence. And we totally forgot about the peanut butter outbreak. And we're still buying whatever mm-hmm. peanut butter brand or, you know, we go whatever it may be. It, it seems like it runs that cycle. At last, however long the news cycle puts it in front of our nose. And then we just forget about it. Um, and just pick your poison, whatever that may be. There's the countless examples to that. I'm guessing this would probably end up being the same. If someone, the ultimate decision was vaccinate, yeah, there'll be some rocky road and there'll be some pushback and all. But like everything else, uh, after a year, everything, it'll, be, it'll become a norm and then everything will just be back to normal again. And I'm guessing if there are other countries, that's why I was asking that to already vaccinate for this. It's like, well. It's kind of the trend or whatever you want to call it more, more, you know, I don't know. That's why I was curious if others did it or not and seemed to have no problems with it. If we did it, that it would eventually just become kind of the norm and nobody thinks about it anymore. Yeah. So it would work. So long for short, other countries do vaccinate. It, it's much more common in Southeast Asia in general. Um, and um there are challenges with that, um, like I said, with, with respect to trade. The, the biggest issue, just to, just to kind of summarize, the biggest issue with vaccinating is that when you vaccinate, as we all know, for the most part, you're protecting – the vaccine is not sterilizing. So in that scenario, now you are protecting the birds from disease, but you're not protecting them from infection. And now, because of the way trade and all these other things work and biosecurity doesn't always work perfectly – now you could have an outbreak occurring that it kind of occurs um, more surreptitiously um, and can cause even a greater ultimate impact. Now, the, the biggest issue with the vaccines, for whatever reason, I, so, so right now, I, I don't even know if we have a, a vaccine against the current strain of high path AI. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there have to be, you know, kind of trials and things like that. And then for whatever reason, and I'm not a vaccine expert, uh, scaling that vaccine up and then testing it and having it work is, is not trivial. Um, so it's certainly doable. Other countries use it. Um, most of the countries that use it aren't, don't have, I, I would describe, not all of them, but don't have all of the biosecurity infrastructure that, that we have. Because in a perfect world, You've got really good biosecurity, you've got really good education and outreach, and you've got really good diagnostics and surveillance. So 
mm-hmm. if you can do all those things, you can stamp out an outbreak pretty quickly. Um, and and you, then you don't have any of the unintended consequences of, of disease transmission, um, for example. So it's certainly plausible. Um, and, and, and I think now for the first time, it's, it's a discussion. Like I, I, you know, I, there's been a sea change over the last six months. People are saying, wow, if this could happen every seven years or so, or even, you know, if it happens again next year, I, I, it, it would be very, it'd be very interesting to see, mm-hmm. you know, how many people switch sides in that, in that argument, because now we just can't have this happen. The U.S. is too important mm-hmm. of a player in poultry. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder, you know, we had a worker in Colorado that also got sick. Um, right. So I remember that. we're obviously very sensitive to pandemics right now. And what about swine? You know, avian influenzas are, they don't just affect avian species. They affect all kinds of mam- mammalian species too. So we're a huge food producer. We have a lot of people also affected. So if this disease ever became truly zoonotic, where it really spread, and we just had that mm-hmm. one worker so far that we know of, but um, it is not in our best interest to have a lot of avian influenza floating around and to kind of keep letting, you know, kind of to keep playing Russian roulette with a lot of virus in the environment and, and humans and pigs and cows and other animals floating around. It's just not, it's not a good, we're, we're kind of playing with fire a little there. So I, I think yeah. if we did have another outbreak this, this fall, I, I can't imagine that we're not going to have um, a, 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 at least a, some change in policy that's going to accommodate um, some level of, of vaccination, but it's, it's complicated like everything. Sure. Hey, great segue here into disease and illnesses, uh, injuries, but I'm going to take yeah. a commercial break to try to split that up so folks can go and if they haven't already, get that pen and get that paper to take some notes and we'll go to commercial break to split these two. I, of course, you know, this was fantastic and fascinating and we spent half the show on that, but I think people appreciate that because we haven't had an update on the outbreak and, and now people know that you know, at least those that listen to the show, we may be looking at some some seriousness here in the fall. We hope we're wrong, but uh, we'll we'll actually see what what happens. But we'll go to commercial break real quick, and then when we come back, we promise we'll get to the common diseases and injuries with poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. 
You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Strong Animals uses plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Our daily snacks, water additives, and coop refresher products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to promote digestive health and immunity. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals products. Available at local farm stores across the country and Amazon. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today to learn more. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Marty, I was thinking to myself when the commercial played about the Chick Fresh odor control and ammonia eliminator for brooders and coops. I was thinking, you know, I just I used that this week, but not for that because we always talk about the multi-uses for that product. And um, I put uh, three garbage bags in the trunk of the car and uh, en route to the uh, garbage uh, dump we have here in the county. Uh, I stopped by off at the church, and I got tied up there for maybe a couple of hours, and the car was in the sun, and I got in the car in the front, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's right. I should have gone to the garbage first. So <laughs> what wasn't any leaks or anything, but I went and took the garbage and then got back home and right under the sink because we use it for our kitchen garbage can. I got that chick fresh and <laughs> sprayed the uh, sprayed the trunk, and it, it smells good, and it works great, whether it be my son's shoes, the brooder that's in there for a couple of hours in the sun while I was doing a project at uh, the church. So try it out, multi-use, uh, if you will. So, uh, all righty, let's get to a common diseases and injuries from a poultry veterinarian himself. Uh, let's hear what you got, Doc. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the, the the big one I want to talk about, the most common kind of phone call I get is typically about um, 
kind of lacerations, cuts, lesions, or whatever you want to call it, and, and how, to, how to do wound management, um, how to make a proper dressing, all those type of things. So easier said than done, um, but it can certainly, you know, it, we, we've all had, um, you know, if you will, ouchies, and we, we've all had to take care of them. So yeah, chickens are not that much different, obviously. Just, just remember a couple things, and, and probably the most important among them is that chicken skin um, is a little more kind of fragile um, than, than mammalian skin. Um, so when there is a laceration there, you know, I think some of us, um, you know, we want to get lots of soap in there and uh, peroxide or betadine, whatever it is, and, and that can actually really ulcerate um, the skin um, and make things worse. So I'm not saying don't use any of those, but just use very, very dilute solutions of soap. Um, use very dilute solutions of betadine. So betadine is kind of that brown um, kind of um, hinged uh, solution you can buy at a pharmacy. So when you are, at the, when you are kind of, um, you know, kind of, if you're going to use betadine, just, just put a drop in and you just want that almost like just a very faint uh, tannish color, not that dark brownish color that um, sometimes you see when you're, um, you know, at a hospital or something like that. Um, a couple of things I point out just about lacerations in general, you might get them from, from other animals or even from other birds. So the first thing is, um, I think as most people know, birds are attracted to blood. So um, this is where you need to kind of separate out an affected bird um, until that wound is, is not so, um, you know, kind of red or bleeding or just, just, you know, birds like to peck at things. So even bandages they like to peck at apparently from, from stories I've heard from folks. So, so just be aware of, of that. And ideally you want them in a separate area and then it gets a little more complicated. So, so one of the things that, that one of the really interesting kind of dressings that you can use is uh, a product called Manuka honey. Um, and um, Manuka honey has all kinds of, if you look at the literature, it has all kinds of antimicrobial properties. Um, and that's one of the things we're basically trying to do. So when you first start just taking a step back, when you're first kind of trying to deal with any kind of wound, the hard part um, and the time-consuming part is, is basically cleaning the wound before you put the dressing on. And, um, you know, easier said than done. But, but I've had luck where, you know, you take a bird, you put it in a bathtub, and then you get kind of the, the hose, that the adapter with the sprayer on for like a shower and then you just you know have some uh, say lukewarm water and you just flush out that that wound um the other way you can do that if that's not an option you can just get some syringes obviously without the needles and if you get like a 35 cc or uh 12 or 24 cc syringe you can you can just keep flushing out that that wound to get dirt or grime or, or whatever else is in there um once that is done um it takes a long time but just go nice and slow um and and you should be able to kind of make a, a little better assessment now if there's a lot of dead skin around the wound, here's where you kind of have to now start going to a vet because you have to sometimes debride that skin. And, and that's just a fancy way of saying you have to cut the edges of that skin to where it's alive again. You cut back enough to where you're just seeing a little bleeding. And then you're like, okay, that skin's alive. That's going to granulate in. It's going to grow in and, and everything will be fine. 
Um, but if you have a bunch of dead skin there, it's not that it won't heal. It'll heal a little slower, um, and then the potential for infection is obviously greater. You can't really debride that skin. Even though it's dead, it's really hard to debride that skin when a bird is not kind of anesthetized at least a little, and, and that can be challenging. So I'm not going to say don't do it, but I'm also going to tell you you've got to be really careful because if you're dealing with um, blades and scissors, um, even just, you know, for a tiny piece of skin that you're trying to cut off, that, that can be really dangerous to you, uh, let alone the bird. Um, but if you can't debride anything, um, can't go to the vet, um, just flushing it out, that's nine-tenths of what you need to do. Um, use um, near the end, you can start flushing out with like a really dilute soapy solution, but just make sure you rinse everything and flush everything really, really well just with that lukewarm water after you're done. So then after that, you have to decide what kind of dressing you might want or not want. Um, again, you really want to separate those birds out. Um, and uh, my recommendation in a perfect world is to separate them out in such a way, the affected bird out in such a way that it can't really have access to too much grime and too much dirt um, because um, it's going to, these chickens obviously, and just by their nature, they, they like to be in, um, in all kinds of, they, they like to be around the ground. And if you've got kind of a gooey, uh, oozing kind of wound, um, those things obviously attract um, um, kind of grime um, better than uh, just regular skin. Now, whether you use, so, so once you've flushed out the injury, one option is like, okay, I'm just going to put this bird in a, in a run that's a little cleaner. Maybe it has, you know, cardboard that you've laid down um, as opposed to dirt. So you're, you're kind of preventing that. Or maybe you've got some concrete, you know, somewhere and you can kind of fence a, a space off or wood or whatever it be. And then in a perfect world, you're going to want to clean that wound daily until you really have confidence that it, it's, it's kind of um, uh, the, the, the infection looks like or, or the wound looks like it's, it's kind of healing. It'll be amazing. I, I, I have been over the years kind of amazed on how um, birds are able to um, kind of heal, maybe in spite of us, not because of us. Um, so, um, you, you, sometimes you'll see some of these things and you'll be like, oh God, this, this poor chicken, but you know, and you give it a, give it a whirl and more, more often than not, as long as you keep it clean every day and they're still eating and drinking, um, they will be back with the, the rest of the flock kind of before you know it. Now the Manuka honey thing is kind of interesting because the Manuka honey, it's kind of one of these things that's almost like part of folklore that's been used for you know, hundreds, if not uh, thousands of years as, as, a, as an all, kind of an alternative medicine and has all kinds of interesting antimicrobial properties. Um, so you can put some Manuka honey over the wound. Um, and then if, if you do that, the only thing you need to do is because now you've got something really gooey on there. So um, in that scenario, I would, I would suggest putting um, a, a, um, um, a bandage on it. And the, and the bandage that I like um, is something called Tegaderm, um, and it's a 3M. It's like a, a transparent film that you can use to cover wounds, um, and it allows some kind of breathing, um, but it also has – it's also kind of waterproof. Um, and then when you put that Tegaderm around the wound – um, then you can put like something um, uh, a little more adhesive around it, like a um, like a vet wrap type thing. Just be really, really careful with vet wrap. Sometimes people have a tendency to uh, 
go really, really tight around whatever wound uh, with vet wrap. Um, and, and that can cut off circulation and cause even more problems. Now, if we're dealing with like a bumblefoot injury, obviously all kind of all bets are off in that scenario um, as far as wrapping things. So in that scenario, I would keep the wound clean, put the bird in an area where they can't get too much dirt and grime in there, but you're, you're not going to get, you know, Manuka honey and, and all these other things in, in an area like that. So I guess my point is just, just be thoughtful about what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, you don't have to kind of do all these things, but the most important thing is to keep it clean. And if you can do that every day, I know that's asking a lot because it does take some time. And that, that first kind of level of wound management is, is the hardest because it's usually there's been some kind of trauma and the bird's a little spooked, but they will get used to it. Um, especially hens. I've never had to do this with roosters before. That, that's, I can't comment on that, but I, that might be a little more challenging. But if you can do all those things, then, then, you're, then you're in a good spot. Um, you know, the only thing you have to kind of keep track of, if you do see a lot of flies, for example, or fly larvae, um, you might want to work with your veterinarian, for example, to get uh, a, uh, a drug called Capstar, and, and Capstar um, will kill um, ectoparasites like fly larvae. Um, some people, and, and, and it, some of it just depends, I guess, on fly larvae in, in a sense can help um, spur granulation. Um, so some people have suggested that, that we should allow that, but my worry with fly larvae is, is more of a bacterial infection. And now, now we have to go to a veterinarian and get some antibiotics and things like that, which I'm not opposed to either, but, but the focus here is on what you can do at home. Remember, if your chicken is eating and drinking and the wound looks is making improvement, you're doing great. Just, just be patient. And, and where you kind of draw that line in the sand as far as like, oh, I need a vet, is when they're not eating or drinking, when you can tell something's infected and they need an antibiotic, um, and, and you're just not making the progress that you anticipated. You've got a lot of dead tissue that, that's not granulating in. Um, th those are the, the points where you kind of have to think about, like, huh, I wonder if I need to, uh, to, get, to get someone who, who, who might have a little more expertise in this area. So mm -hmm. those are kind of the biggies with wound management. Um, I, I was going to go over one other um, kind of home remedy type thing, um, but I, were there any questions that, that you had on, on wound management? Um, not yet. Uh, how, that, would that lacerations or whatnot also kind of carry over to puncture wounds? I see that a lot. You know, my, my, my dog yeah. played too hard with my chickens and they, they got a puncture or a, a, a raccoon attack and they have a puncture. We see that a lot. So this would cross over to puncture wounds as well. Yep. No, great question. And I should have, I should have addressed that. So thanks for the reminder. So puncture wounds, um, yes and no. So I'm going to give you the, the kind mm -hmm. of wimpy answer. Um, you know, if, if you actually don't want anything to granulate in on a puncture wound, because the assumption is that there's bacteria now that have been kind of injected into some tissue. So uh, that the, the puncture wounds more than anything, flushing out is going to be really, 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 really important um, daily, um, if not twice a day. Um, and, and when you flush out, you know, we want to be really aggressive um, in the sense that you kind of want to keep that wound open. So if you went to a veterinarian with any animal with a puncture wound, one of the things they'll typically do is they'll put a drain in and, and a drain basically just allows, just make sure that, that, that there's a space there for all the yucky stuff to get out. 
Um, so um, in lieu of going to a veterinarian and getting antibiotics and putting these kind of these drains in, these little Penrose drains in that you can kind of suture in so that the skin doesn't uh, completely close, um, being kind of aggressive with that with that flushing um, is, is going to be your best friend. And, and that's why it's nice to have, you know, you should be able to get these at feed stores, like a 12cc uh, syringe or even a 24cc syringe so you can get a little pressure behind it. So when you're flushing it out, you're, you're kind of getting a little further. And you can, you can take that syringe um, and, and, you know, gently kind of push it into the wound area and flush and then kind of express it out of there. Um, so puncture wounds are a little more complicated to, to your point, but certainly possible and, you know, not something I would, um, I think more than anything, it, it's, it's worth giving it a try. But once your chicken is not eating or drinking, once it looks kind of listless, um, you know, all the things that, that, that it, it, it does not look normal, that's when it's better to, to seek treatment sooner than later. It's, it's a lot easier and less expensive um, to treat animals sooner than later. But I'm certainly not opposed for, I think, a, what I would consider like a relatively clean puncture wound, giving it, giving it a try, especially if, if cost is, is a real issue. So um, that's, that's at least my, my sense of, of, of that problem. Okay. That was my only question. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, so the only other thing I really want to chat about is uh, oregano oil, um, and um, that's because um, it's misused a little, um, and also because coccidiosis is just common in birds. It's more of a young bird disease, causes a lot of diarrhea, doesn't cause a lot of mortality or death, but does cause a lot of sickness. And I know there's people that obviously like um, organic feed, and remember, especially in chicks, that organic feed does not contain, by law, it's not allowed to contain um, a coccidiostat, which is not an antibiotic, and it's nothing that, that we have to worry about in humans, but those are just the rules. So in lieu of that, um, or if you do have a, a coccidiosis kind of outbreak, so if you have young birds and they've got diarrhea, you're kind of, you know, you can kind of connect the dots. You can go to your vet and, and, and see if you, they can identify the, the protozoa, but you can also kind of connect the dots and, and, and make, a, I think, a pretty educated um, guess that you're, you probably are dealing with coccidia. And that's where um, oregano oil kind of comes in. Um, and, and the only thing that people sometimes misuse is they, um, they, use, they use oregano leaves in lieu of oregano oil, and it just doesn't have as much of the active ingredient in it. So that's strike one. And then strike two is the oregano leaves. Now you're displacing um, their regular poultry diet with oregano um, leaves, and that's a real problem, especially in young birds, where they're eating, you know, you know, anywhere from you know 10 to 40 or 50 grams a day. If we're displacing even just a few of those grams, now now we're causing even additional issues. So you can give you know dried oregano, and I've seen that on you know some websites and things like that. But it's not going to have enough of this kind of po these polyphenols that we think are the active ingredients. Um, the oregano oil that you can get at um, most uh, feed stores um, also is um, it, it has a much more consistent uh, concentration of these polyphenols, and um, you can add it to water. Um, I think there's like a per gallon amount that you'll add to water, and it, it works as a preventative and a treatment. So, um, and interestingly enough, you know, I, I know um, some kind of curmudgeon commercial poultry veterinarians 
that, that are very, you know, kind of like, eh, stuff doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Oregano oil is kind of the exception, that that's, like, pretty legit, and there's a lot of good literature on that. Um, so if you ever are really interested in it, go on to Google Scholar, um, and we all have access to Google Scholar. You might not have access to, to all the articles, all the contents of the article, but you could at least, at the minimum, read the, the abstract. And, um, you know, there are literally like tens of millions of articles in English on Google Scholar. So if you go to Google Scholar, type oregano oil in chickens, um, you don't have to believe me, but you can, you can look at some of the literature there and see what they've done. It's not perfect, um, but it is a, a, um, a good um, kind of second or additional level of, of nutrition you can add to, to kind of reduce the coccidia levels. And then just kind of basic principles, you know, when we're thinking about you know, just home remedies, you really want to save money, just focus on good husbandry and good biosecurity. That, that's mm-hmm. going to save you so much time and energy. And I know it's, you know, we're kind of going back to, to, to the beginning here because um, we always talk about this. But if you can do that, my God, you're going to save yourself, you know, so much aggravation, um, so much time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because treating poultry diseases, um, is, is not always, sometimes can be a fool's errand. It can be, it can be a little challenging. It can take a lot of energy, time, and money. And if, if you can prevent all that by having good husbandry when it comes to coccidia, um, making sure that there's not a lot of uh, environment for the coccidia to proliferate in, in the soil around waters, for example, which kind of spill or leak. If you can do all those things, um, if you can use a preventative uh, or coccidia stat, excuse me, in the, in, the, in the feed, great. If you can't do that, then just double down on your biosecurity and your, and your, um, and your husbandry. But um, it, it's certainly, um, if you can do all the right things, that, that, that's always prevention, as we all know, is, is, is much better than, than treating the disease. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we stress that uh, every time we have a, uh, you on and Dr. McCray on and, and Curran on. We talk about prevention and uh, and things like that regarding uh, regarding all these uh, diseases that we're treating. You know, one thing I didn't hear you talk about the entire show was apple cider vinegar curing everything. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we yeah. didn't talk about apple cider vinegar, and, and you're right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it wasn't. It was. It was left out because we were talking about uh, home remedies that work. Um, so, um, but yes, people for whatever reason, um, people in the horse world, the human medicine, chickens have kind of gleaned on as we've talked about in the past to apple cider vinegar, and, and unfortunately. Uh, we just don't have any literature, any experimental studies that really show that it, that it's efficacious. So could you give it? Yeah. Some people give it, and they give so much of it that it probably makes the water not taste good, so that you can you can use too much of it. Um, but, but I've never seen a study. If someone has one, I'd love to see it. But I've never seen a study um, where, you know, some kind of case control study or, you know, some kind of observational. So whatever it is, I've never seen a, a scientific study that suggested, at least in poultry, that apple cider vinegar um, works for any disease or, or preventative um, purpose, unfortunately. I wish it did because that would make everyone's life a lot easier. There is – I'm very excited, and I, I wish I knew the answer, and Dr. McRae won't, uh, won't even sneak it to me. Uh, so I have no idea what the outcome was, but for two years – because we, we, I think actually 
you, Dr. Metesky, address this in in my book, um, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, about uh, pumpkin seeds being an all-natural mm. um, cure for internal parasites. And so for the last two years, I've been waiting for this to come across my desk. Uh, Auburn University, Dr. Hauk and some of his students uh, have run and completed uh, a study on pumpkin seeds uh, being or not being a treatment for internal parasites. And I am waiting for this to come out. And I, I heard last week that it's completed. Uh, everything's been reviewed. However, whatever you have to do in that setting uh, to have a study be published, it's all been done. And nice. and and in the fall issue are coming out. And I don't know if it's – I have no idea the answer. So, so uh, Well, uh, I can't know, wait I'm, to see it. I'm guessing in the next couple of weeks because the deadline's coming up. As you know, you're doing a great topic on um, preparedness, uh, disaster preparedness mm-hmm. for, I'm guessing, the chicken keeper. Can't wait to see that one. So I guess when, when the deadline, which I think is around the 25th, 20th, 25th, 30th, somewhere in that area, um, when it comes in, I'll read it. I'll, I'll be on pins and needles because uh, it's either going to work or it's not going to work or it's going to be that, uh, well, this group had maybe less load than this group, and then see I, I, what's going to happen. As we all know, this if, they, if that's the case, then all these folks promoting, you know, uh, pumpkin seeds, they'll be like, "See it works, see it works, see it works," and I'm going to be like, uh, "Okay, let, let's put this in a more realistic setting. Do you want less cancer or no cancer?" You know, and and, does, and, and and is that is that medicine? Are you going to take this medicine? You know, if you if we give you this, you'll have less. But we could give you this, and then you'd have none. What do you want to do? Does this really work? So, you know, it, I'm anxious to hear if it's going to be yes, it works, which would be fantastic. You know, another uh, a natural uh, treatment for something that I guess is pretty prevalent pre- prevalent in the poll. We hear a lot about it, or it's not going to work, and we were like, well, we kind of told you that, or it's going to be that in between where maybe we saw less load than, but then still it's not a win for anybody because yeah, we had less, we still have, we still have it. Uh, it didn't help anything. You know, you're still now going to have to treat with a, a, uh, say a chemical wormer, whatever you want to call it. So, uh, but I'm, that's going to be coming out here pretty soon in the next two, three weeks. I don't know the answer to that. She won't spill the beans for me. <laughs> and I've been asking for two years, two years it's been going on. So I'll be anxious for that. Thank you so much for joining us, Common Diseases and Injuries. I'm sure we can do maybe another one of these here in the future. Um, maybe next month, because uh, sometimes we're, we're like, okay, we've done that. We haven't done this. Maybe, um, we can just to, to make it also easier on you, so you don't have to uh, prepare a lot for the next show next month. Preparedness with poultry, or you know, uh, disaster preparedness for poultry. Uh, we'll just that'll be our next month's radio show topic, and we can refer back to the article. The article may generate some more questions for you as well. So we'll do that next month. How's that sound? Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, perfect. Well, hey, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next month. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Have a good night, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. If I can click the right button here. There we go. It's taking its sweet time there. Okay. Perfect. Mute. Um, So great, fantastic show. Uh, We can do another one of these and maybe uh, he can share a couple of other types of common diseases and injuries and surprise, maybe some home remedies uh, that he's shown to have some success. And, um, 
which is fantastic. And uh, I, I figured when I heard about the topic for the show uh, that apple cider vinegar probably wasn't going to be mentioned. So um, I, had to, I had to poke that bear a little bit at the end of the show. But thank you for very much for tuning in. And again, we got great articles coming up in the fall issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine, um, specifically that one and that study uh, that I've been waiting for for a decade, 12, you know, show me the proof, um, you know, and, and so I can't wait for that pumpkin seeds uh, and all natural wormer uh, study to come out from Auburn University. And uh, you just heard Dr. Metesky for the fall magazines doing kind of preparedness, disaster preparedness with our flocks, which is going to be fantastic. I think uh, Curran is going to be talking about feed alternatives um, for, for that, uh, for his article, which we did a show on a couple of weeks ago. Um, this way he can put it all in writing uh, versus you trying to jot notes down and, and his view on that. Let's see. I think Christine Heinrich with the APA is doing, I think, something on youth uh, poultry, uh, youth and poultry, and maybe youth and poultry showing. And then I think Dr. McRae is doing one on different ammonia control products. Uh, and there's another one that she's doing, and I can't remember what that one might be. But it's going to be a great uh, publication. Uh, if you are not familiar with Chicken Whisperer Magazine, I encourage you because you can subscribe totally free to the digital edition. Totally free. It's been out for, I think, seven or eight years. It's not a bait and switch. ChickenWhispererMagazine.com. You can subscribe. We'll email it to you four times a year. If you want a print edition, you just like good old print magazines to have a little catalog file of them. That's great, too. $9.95 a year. Some of these chicken magazines today cost $9.95 each. You can get four beautiful color, glossy magazines per year, every quarter, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Um, $9.95 for the year. You can do all that at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. I encourage you to go check that out. And if you go there now, you can read every single article in every single magazine from poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, poultry nutritionists about all kinds of different topics about the chickens you have in your backyard. So I encourage you to actually do that right now as soon as we get off the air. Um, ChickenWhispererMagazine.com. I want to thank everybody over at Tucker Milling uh, for sponsoring the radio show and everything else we do here at Chicken Whisperer LLC. And we will see you, see who we got going on next week. I think next week is Dr. McRae, and I'm sure we'll have a fantastic topic for you next week at the same time. So long, everybody. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.